Excited to welcome you into episode six of the official PFRA podcast. John Bozica, George Bozica will join me later, my co-host. And uh, we've talked to a number of uh, ex-players. We've talked to uh, a historian in our time on the podcast. We've uh, tried to find discussions that are interesting to you, the listeners that are out there uh, day in and day out. If you hear something in the background, by the way, it's my cat as I'm recording this. I apologize for uh, her nuisance being here on the opening. Uh, she really can't help herself. Um, but we're pleased to be joined tonight uh, as we're going to talk with the uh, Vice President of Archives, Education, and Football Information at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's John Kendall. Um, my father and I, George, we've known him for quite some time. He's gone from being a guy that used to just hang out in the archives and uh, kind of not be in front of the camera very much to now uh, being on podcasts and um, being on uh, local TV from time to time and just really expanding his role uh, with the Hall of Fame every time uh, things seem to uh, go in the direction of spreading history. John seems to be on the forefront of those things. So George and I really excited. John Kendall going to join us when we return on the official PFRA podcast as part of the Sports History Network. Pleased to be back on the uh, PFRA podcast here as part of the Sports History Network and uh, very excited tonight for our guest, John Kendall, uh, the Vice President of Archives education and football information it's a brand new title for this guy at the pro football hall of fame uh, and those who know him know that uh, he has more football knowledge at his fingertips than just about maybe anybody in the world um, and that's probably a good thing and a bad thing and a blessing and a curse at the same time uh, john thanks for joining us absolutely i appreciate you guys having me on and uh, always a pleasure when i get to to speak with uh, both of you, uh, George and John. So let's kind of dive into a little bit about basically what it is that you do for maybe people that don't know. Um, I, I think George and I know so well because we've both been to the archives. We've both asked you for things from the archives and and have enjoyed time there before. Um, but on a, on a day-to-day basis, what is it that you do? And how important is what you do to protecting the legacy of the game at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Well, uh, yeah, I I appreciate uh, you know you bringing up you know protecting the legacy of the game um, and, and preserving that. So you know at at my core, you know what what I'm doing is I really look at myself as a servant of the game. So individuals that need the information uh, that is you know, housed and, and archived and preserved here at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, um, making sure that that information is accessible to people uh, around the world. And so, you know, here in Canton at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, we preserve over 40 million pages of documents, 6 million photographic images, and close to 30,000 artifacts related, not just to the history of the game, but every player, coach, and contributor who built the game to what it is today. And so, you know, we have researchers, obviously, uh, individuals writing books, doing documentaries, um, our partners, our broadcast partners from NBC to ESPN to NFL Network, um, looking for information as they're producing pieces and, and content related to the game. And so um, making sure that that's accessible and, and providing that information uh, to them. Uh, you know, at our core, it, it's really about serving our mission, which is to honor the greatest of the game, to preserve its history, to promote its values, and to celebrate excellence together. And, you know, that that's really where I get excited, you know, as, as we talk about the Pro Football Researchers Association and researchers in general, um, you know, it, it really is a collaboration, a, a, a um, you know, we work together to, to find out the history of the game, you know, searching through these pages of documents and, and, and these photos, um, you know, together we are uncovering some of these mysteries of the game. Uh, so that to me is, is the most exciting part. And when I said, you know, I'm a servant of the game, it's really the people that love the game, uh, making sure that they have the information uh, at their fingertips. And then 
from the hall of famer standpoint, the legends of the game, um, players, coaches, contributors, it's about preserving their legacies here within our archives with, uh, and then promoting their legacies throughout the museum and, uh, making sure that future generations, uh, have access to find out who these individuals were and what made them so great on the football field. You know, I, I know that so much that's so many days I'm sure is, is probably having those kind of like awestruck moments of things as I said that are right at your fingertips, but um, how do you make sure that when, when you're handling so much information like that, that things are organized to the point to where it's like, if someone wants to hear about the, you know, 62 bills, or they want to hear about the 74 dolphins, or they want to hear about the 1920s Akram pros, how are you able to go with like, you know, one little swoop and be able to get stuff that quickly? How have you been able to organize it to that level, John? Well, it really is just being detailed in processing collections, uh, you know, like things together, uh, you know, start very basic, um, particularly when you get a large collection of diverse artifacts and documents, you got to start kind of, uh, you know, on a general level and say, okay, footballs over here, shoes over here, um, documents over here, and then start, you know, going through it that way. Um, we've got a great team here at the hall of fame. And so we've got, um, you know, our collection team processing collections. You know, when we get a major collection and that collection mostly stays together. Uh, we, mo we recently got, uh, a collection from the Bratton family. Um, Anne Marie is, uh, Pete Roselle's daughter. And so it's a collection of Commissioner Roselle's documents, 30 banker boxes full of uh, documents related to the history of the National Football League. And, and it was a massive undertaking to process that collection. Um, and most of it was documents. So we didn't kind of sort out 3D and 2D stuff necessarily, but it was going through folder by folder and chronicling, you know, typing out, you know, starting off in an Excel spreadsheet of what exactly was in each folder, um, reading through every letter, <laughs> um, uh, every appointment book, and trying to really understand why each folder, each piece of paper, uh, each document was significant uh, to, to that collection and, and to his career and legacy at the National Football League. And so, you know, that is you know, indicative of how we process all collections as they come in. But there's a lot of times where we, you know, we'll get the random game program from somebody or the random newspaper clipping. And from that standpoint, you know, we have a process that, you know, all game programs go together. So, you know, we've got our working copy game programs that are organized by team and then chronological within each team's box. And so they're very easy to, to come by. If, if somebody wants to research the Buffalo bills, you know, go right to the shelf. And, um, those, uh, those, those bills programs are set, um, you know, in boxes chronological by, you know, from starting in 1960 and, and moving to present. I'm sure that George looked up a lot about Cookie Girl, Chris, and uh, Jack Kemp, but go ahead, George. Yeah, I did. Uh, I know there's only a small percentage of what is within the holdings of the hall that are actually on public display. Mm -hmm. uh, one question I've had is, if you get an item, if somebody contacts you and say, just as an example, I have a set of, you know, uh, shoulder pads that Johnny, you noticed were in the 50s. What kind of process do you guys go through to authenticate or vet that to know that that is actually what you are receiving from somebody. Do you, do you put them on and you're like, well, this feels like something Johnny would wear. <laughs> I'm feeling the aura here. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, a lot of it is, um, you know, done first and foremost through our photo collection and photos that we find. And we're looking for those specific markings that can, um, you know, identify those particular shoulder pads as Johnny Unitas's that we've seen in, um, you know, photos throughout the years. I know there was just uh, an article I read on uh, an auction, the Babe Ruth bat uh, sold recently. And 
the the number was able to skyrocket so much because there was actually photo evidence of that bat and some I, I believe there are pine tar markings uh, on that bat. So, you know, that's kind of first and foremost, um, you know, to start there. And then if if we have to dig deeper, then it's going to, you know, uh, family members, um, going to uh, equipment managers uh, throughout history or, or with teams and and really trying to learn as much as we can about um, the equipment or uniform or whatever it may be to to find out how authentic it is and and how what are some of the the, the telltale signs of whether this was uh, something that would have been issued by a team uh, and then you know in, in what era. And so really trying to narrow it down that way. Um, it's interesting you mentioned Babe Ruth back because I just heard about that this afternoon on uh, Sports Talk. And they said I went to a private uh, collector for $1.8 million. And as you said, they were able to match it up and get that kind of price because they had the pictures. And they referred to it, I believe, as the Polo Grounds bat because the Yankees, mm -hmm. I guess, played at the Polo Grounds back then. So it was, it was really fascinating that – you know, and obviously they were having a debate on sports talk. Well, is that worth that? And should people be spending that much on a collectible and everything else? Because it just yes. was such an outrageous price. Yes, it is worth that. It's Babe Ruth we're talking about. Come on. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you know, it, it's funny that you mentioned that, too, about authenticating, because a lot of times, you know, we we get people contacting us to try to authenticate for them. And, um, you know, that's one of the things that, over the years, you know, we have to prioritize our time. We're not a huge staff here at the Pro Football Hall of Fame in terms of our collection team. And so, um, you know, back in in uh, when I first started here 20, almost 20 years ago, you know, we, we did spend a lot of our time helping individuals authenticate, you know, items, memorabilia that they had or, uh, you know, answer a bet, you know, between two guys at a bar. And, you know, as most things progress and our organization has gotten larger and um, we do more with our partners in the national football league and, and others, you know, those are things that uh, we don't have as much time for anymore. So, uh, you know, we, we don't get as many of those questions. Uh, but I, I did just get an email the other day about somebody looking to authenticate some autographs on a, on a football. And so, you know, I'll, I'll take that request and I'll do my best to, to see if we have any of those types of autographs in our collection that we possibly could match up. No, I know that, that in the case of, of George, I think you were probably just at the hall of fame last year, I think. Yes. The last time you went meeting, through and, yeah. and I went through it when we recorded this just a couple of weeks ago, but I mean, obviously there is so much, uh, so much that is there on display already, but how do you make sure that like the stuff that is out there is actually timely for people and actually interesting for people? And how much of a say do you have in taking things that are in the different exhibits and changing them throughout the course of time? Cause you could probably spend a whole day doing a, a different exhibit on each row in the archives that you have. Couldn't you? Certainly. And, and that's kind of where, um, you know, my role has now uh, progressed to where I, I do have a say in, you know, the actual exhibits throughout the museum. And um, that's something that we are pushing harder and harder to do is, is make sure that we're rotating through items uh, in, in certain exhibits. Now, you know, for years, uh, the way that our exhibits have have uh, been designed is it's it's not as easy as opening up a case and putting a new artifact in there. I mean, we're not then we have to you know either match up the storyline of the existing exhibit and make sure you know if uh, we're talking about the fifty eight championship game that you know if we're taking something off display in the fifty eight championship game that we're adding something back that is fifty eight championship game related. Um, but we're writing new captions for whatever new item goes into that display. And so there, there's a whole process, but we are definitely trying to rotate as much as possible. Um, we just were working through um, a few items in our Super Bowl gallery. We have a, a lunchbox that we just added in there 
um, you've just missed it, John, um, from the Super Bowl three, it was given to the media members uh, at, at Super Bowl three. And it's a little psychedelic and, uh, you know, pr pretty neat. But, uh, you know, that's something we just added. So we changed out the caption there. Uh, so trying to rotate through because the, the the worst thing that you can do for an artifact is or a document is leave it on exhibit for 10 plus years and, and you know, not change it out. Um, because, you know, while we monitor and keep the light levels low, you know, it just, those types of, as they get older, they need time to rest so we can, you know, take them off and on for, you know, uh, you know, a year or two, uh, at a time. But, um, you know, as it relates to the newer artifacts, you know, that's one of the cool things about working at a museum where you're preserving a living history. And that is that every day uh, the NFL is making new history. And so we're constantly working with them as a partner to make sure that that history is being preserved and those items are coming to the Pro Football Hall of Fame and we're able to get those on display. So, um, you know, in our Pro Football Today gallery, uh, we're able to rotate a lot of different artifacts through from the most recent season. So uh, the NFL's 2022 season, you know, we just received some Super Bowl um, artifacts. We've got the uh, the outfit that Andy Reid wore on the sidelines from Super Bowl 57. Uh, one of the cool things that I really like, because I'm always trying to push the envelope on unique here in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I, um, you know, you've got a couple jerseys behind me here, and I love showing the difference between, you know, a Mel Hine jersey uh, here uh, and, and a brand new, you know, 2021 Joe Burrow jersey. But, you know, sometimes you can, you know, go through and you see a jersey, you see another jersey, you see another jersey. So I, I like, you know, the more unique items that we can get, and there's a lot of pieces and parts to an NFL uniform. Uh, but one of the things we got from Super Bowl 57 was um, Patrick Mahomes' warm-up hoodie. And so it's got the sleeves cut off. It's got Mahomes written across the chest. It's got his captain's patch on it. But on the back, something that's really significant was he was honoring Len Dawson. Len Dawson was MVP of Super Bowl four. So it's got a silhouette of Len Dawson on the back. Wow. It's got uh, Lenny's signature on it with the HOF. And uh, I thought that was really unique and really cool that he thought to send that, you know, as we were asking for different items, it wasn't, oh, here, you can have my game jersey or you can have the shoes that I wore. It was, no, you know, this this hoodie would be really cool. So with the uh, new class coming in this summer, what things are you tasked with leading up to the induction ceremony and uh, the football's greatest weekend in terms of, you know, putting things together in terms of, you know, background or even uh, artifacts or things that identify with the new players that are coming in? That's one of the real cool things that I get a chance to do is, um, you know, first and foremost, Rich DeRosier you know, runs our selection process here at the Pro Football Hall of Fame and does a, a tremendous job. Uh, I get a chance to just, you know, help assist him in compiling the information that we ultimately uh, give to the selectors as they're doing their own research as well. It's just a, a component, a piece that we provide to them. And then they go out, they're doing their own interviews, uh, gathering their own information. But I, I get a chance to be a part of, of that selection process in that way. And then once the class is selected um, this year, you know, had the opportunity to go out to the Super Bowl. Um, uh, Sizing Saturday is uh, the Saturday before the Super Bowl. The class is announced uh, at the honor show, which is on Thursday night. Uh, we meet with the class afterwards. We do a kind of a car wash of media availabilities with them. That's my first uh, introduction to them, I guess, is helping out with the media that way. And then uh, Saturday, get a chance to spend the whole day really with them, getting to know them a little bit, uh, helping Blair Buzzwell, who sculpts the busts, uh, help him get measurements of all the individual's facial features. So uh, I'm working on, you know, he's he's got the calipers, he's measuring the guys, I'm writing down the numbers for him. And uh, 
and then talking to the the class and and the families about our archive and our museum and and what it is that we do here at the Pro Football Hall of Fame to preserve their legacy and what types of artifacts and documents we preserve and and why we preserve them. Uh, And then uh, about a month, month and a half later, uh, they all come to Canton for a site visit so that they can start to understand what that weekend's going to be like and start to meet with some of their party planners and start to meet um, with people like myself on staff who uh, are here to preserve their legacy. So from that standpoint, that's really when we we get a chance to show them the archives and show them the collection, show them other uh, displays uh, and, and exhibits that we have and, and what type of documents and artifacts we like to display. And then from there, it's just coordinating uh, their collections coming to the Pro Football Hall of Fame to, to be put on exhibit. So this year, it's it's really exciting. We are taking our class exhibit, our new class exhibit, and we're moving it to the front lobby. So it's really going to be the first thing that visitors see when they come in. And when you walk in, uh, we have this exhibit gallery right uh, just past the front lobby. And on the right, it will be Pro Football Hall of Fame Class of 2023, Welcome to Canton. And we'll have you know, nine cases full of their artifacts and documents helping tell their story. And then on the left, we'll have why Canton. So welcome to Canton, why Canton, because Mm -hmm. this year is actually the Pro Football Hall of Fame 60th anniversary. And so making sure that everybody knows why Canton, Ohio is home to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And so I like that little play on welcome to Canton, why Canton, and then um, visitors will be able to go through the rest of the museum and see the history of the league. John, I, I know from knowing you over the years, from interviewing you when I've worked in media at different times, I know you're also a, a huge fan of the game yourself. I, I know that, that you know, just like so many other people that are historians with this, I mean, you, you just love the, the history, the stories, so much that goes with it. Um, for you, I mean, when, when you're going through a day and you see some of these things, because I know for me, and it would be hard for me to get work done because of some of the stuff that you get to do, but... I mean, when you're going through a day and you're researching things and you're looking at things, have there been things that are come through that have been through your hands? You're like, gosh, I can't believe I just, you know, touched the helmet that that Blood McNally wore. I can't believe I, you know, I'm holding the the hoodie that Patrick Mahomes was wearing before the game. What's that like for you? And 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 what's that like to be able to share that then with people that that is what you get to do, that you get to preserve that just take me through those range of emotions and, and kind of what that's like for someone who, who gets to do that. Well, for me, it really is everything. I mean, I, um, I was one of these kids that grew up loving, loving the sport, um, loving a lot of sports, but particularly the history of, of football. And I grew up, I was born and raised in Canton, Ohio. So I thought who the heck ever gets a job at the pro football hall of fame? Like that would be incredible. And, you know, 19, 18 years later, here I am. And and this is what somebody pays me to do is, you know, read and write and talk about football history. And so uh, it really is everything. And for me, um, you know, the documents, uh, I, I really love, you know, you can hold the the helmets and the jerseys. And, and that is cool to be like, okay, you know, this great moment in NFL history, you know, this person, this individual is wearing this, this Jersey or wearing this helmet. But I think because I cut my teeth, so to speak in the archives, uh, the, the, the documents are really what get to me. Um, Cause I feel like that's really where you have an opportunity to get a sense of who these individuals were when you read through their correspondences. Um, You read through, you know, behind me there with the Miami Dolphins helmet, you know, Don Shula's notebooks. Uh, We have a complete collection of Don Shula notebooks here. And so you get a sense of what made some of these individuals so special, um, their, their attention to detail, what they, um, what they found fascinating or important to the game. Uh, so, so those are the types of, of things that really wow me or excite me. Um, 
I also really enjoy and love the experiences. Um, I don't necessarily get um, starstruck by too many people, but I do cherish some of the interactions that I've been able to have with individuals like a coach Belichick, uh, you know, spending time with him two and a half hours in the archives going through football information, you know, I could pull out a hundred things that were from his career uh, that we have at the pro football hall of fame and he could care less, but I pull out one play sheet of Paul Brown or some of these old play, uh, play sheets that we have from the Dutch Sternemann collection in the early 1920s. And he could just sit there and leaf through that all day long and talk about how incredible uh, that individual was and the different stories that he has related to them. Um, spending the time that I was able to spend uh, talking to coach Madden throughout the years before he passed away. Those are the types of things that, um, you know, I'll just, I'll never forget. And I pinch myself consistently saying, you know, like that I, I get to do that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny to me that you mentioned when, when you were a kid, you were in school, you were like reading about it. You became a fan of it. Cause I used to read books about football when I was in like third grade and my teacher would get mad at me. Cause she was like, well, you're not reading about like, you know, you're not reading the, the Junie B Jones books or captain underpants or the normal books that third grade kids were reading. My dad gave me a book. You gave me a book about Ohio state and Michigan, the 10 year war between Woody and Bo. And I'm sitting there reading that turning to the kid next to me and be like, did you know Bo Schembechler ran the option in 1976? And they were like, John, what the hell does that even mean? And right. I was like, well, it means what it means to me. So it's cool to hear that because like, that's the same type of experience that I felt like I had growing up where it's like, I wanted to be around it. I wanted to be near it. And you talk about those relationships with the coaches, but does that make you appreciate it more to see them through their accounts, appreciating it too, and, and understanding what, what they view it as as well? Oh, absolutely. And you know, it, it's always more fun to talk about a topic that who you're talking to uh, about it with is just as passionate or more passionate even than, than you are. I mean, it, it brings out that excitement. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's just incredible. And, you know, I, going back to what you said, you know, I, I try to push students if i get a chance to stand in front of a group of students and and talk to them whether it's here at the hall of fame inside the archives or out in their classroom i encourage them i you know we talk about it all the time here with our education department and they do a series called heart of a hall of famer where they get a chance to to um talk to a pro football hall of famer you know find find out how you can navigate your coursework, your classroom work into a topic that you love, because it's still at the end of the day, it's still learning how to read and write <laughs> and research. But if you do it, if you're doing that, those types of um, activities, and, and you're reading about something that you're more passionate about, you're, you're much more likely to get a better grade on it than if you're having to read something that no, you have to read this book. Um, so I, I try to, I try to steer students all the time and, you know, just because it's a, a history paper doesn't necessarily mean that it can't be about football. Um, you know, find a way to work that and navigate that into, um, into your, your, your coursework. And I, I think if, if that's what you're passionate about, your, your end result is going to be so much better. Um, and, and we talk all the time here at the pro football hall of fame, just how much, you know, there, there are parallels between uh, American history and, and pro football, and, and you can find ways to weave that in. So, I know one of the things that you work on, too, is don't you work on some curriculum items for school groups that are coming through or want to do something that's related to the Hall of Fame? Yeah, and that's really where I cut my teeth at, at the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. My, my first two years working here were in the education department. And so, uh, yeah, our education team does a, a tremendous job at, at working with schools, um, not just on field trip programs, but some leadership programs as well, um, some mentoring programs. And, uh, yeah, they, they do some curriculum-based 
around uh, pro football. Um, so uh, they, they just do a tremendous job and reach so many, so many young people. Another thing that I understand has been a project that you've been working on is uh, the, uh, I think it's called the uh, Personal Legacy Archive. Uh, and I know it's a lot of these I've read that um, if you have players that come through, if, even if it's a player that just had a cup of coffee in the NFL, you try to get them in front of a camera or tape them and stuff so that you can maintain that as part of the archives. Can you explain that uh, and what that all is involves? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the majority of our mission is focused, obviously, on the Pro Football Hall of Famers, the 371 that that are enshrined in, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But, you know, through our archive collection, we have information on every single player, every coach, every contributor who built the game to what it is today. And so um, part of that uh, is it really started almost 10 years ago with a digitization project. And we started digitizing all of this information that we've been talking about here uh, on this podcast. And so as we started to digitize that information, we also started crafting a player database as well. And so a demographic database of every player that played one NFL regular season snap going back to 1920. And so as we started to develop that and we're looking to connect these digital assets to this player database, why not also have a video component as well? And so, um, you know, the, the video component itself is, is a little bit slow going because, you know, we haven't been able to get out and get large groups of former players in one place at one time that we can kind of rifle through and, and um, get a lot of video content all at once. But it, it's certainly something that, um, we as as they come through uh canton we try to we try to capture that video content um we've been able to do it a lot with our hall of famers obviously and and that's been that's been great um and one of the projects that i worked on with coach madden uh before he passed was uh, getting our most senior hall of famers together uh monthly for a history talk and we would uh, we would send them, uh, you know, a lunch and we would get eight to 10 on a call together and just kind of bring back the the locker room talk, you know, and I, I would uh, throw out a, a historical topic and 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 then just kind of let the guys go. And some of the great, you know, great content that we were able to capture from that before some of these guys uh, you know, like coach Madden, you know, passed away. So we were able to capture some great content there, but, you know, just to be a fly on the wall to listen to a conversation between coach Madden and Joe Namath <laughs> to hear coach Madden tell Joe Namath, you know, Joe, while Lamar Hunt founded the, the American football league, it was you, Joe Namath, who made the American football league. Like, those types of sound bites were were really uh, really amazing uh, to listen to. Um, well, not listen to, but to have a conversation on a call with Raymond Barry, John Madden, and Ron Wolf, and question why Ron Wolf wasn't asking so many questions himself. And then I get a call from Ron Wolf after the call. And this is Ron Wolf, you know, the, the great general manager of the National Football League. And I said, you know, is everything OK? Like, you know, usually on the calls, you're asking great questions and you didn't speak up at all. And he goes, you don't understand. Raymond Barry was my idol. <laughs> I didn't I, I you know, it was like to, to hear, you know, a guy like Ron Wolf be kind of shell shocked or, or just wanting to listen to Raymond Barry and not interrupt or ask any questions, you know, th those, those are pretty cool. So. When it comes to obviously the, the history of the game on the field, that's so much of what you do, but obviously you mentioned the, the kind of like parallels between like American history and like world history and even like pro football history. I mean, we, we've seen so many moments like, players breaking the color barrier and like the Colin Kaepernick situation and like some of the other like bigger political moments within the game. How do you take those moments and how do you, how do you find archives for things like that, that can preserve that part of the game as well? Because it's easy to get a helmet. 
you know, I mean, you just have to probably ask the team and they'll give it to you, but it's probably tough to get, you know, maybe the wristband that Colin Kaepernick was wearing that day or, you know, something that can, something that can, can bring a moment like that to history. How do you do that? And how do you make sure that that's told accurately then, John? Sure. So, you know, sometimes it's that that's one of the tougher parts of the job is to kind of forecast, right? I mean, looking 25 years into the future um, and say, you know, what are researchers going to want to know uh, about the game today? Um, because it's a living history and because the sport is so popular, I, I mean, you could you could collect I mean, particularly you're talking newspaper clippings or something, you could clip 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and still not get everything that's being created content-wise. But being strategic, understanding what will be valuable to researchers or the story years and you know, years down the road uh, is important. So when we do identify some things like that, like COVID, you know, I, I know when when we were going through the pandemic, um, you know, obviously there are a lot of things personally on my mind, but professionally it was how do we connect with the National Football League and make sure that the policies that they're putting in place and some of the things that they've got going on throughout facilities in the National Football League are tagged to come to Canton to be preserved, you know. I mean, from the um, monitors that they were sewing into uh, uniforms during NFL games to the wristbands that they were wearing, the close proximity wristbands to signage that they were putting up in the locker rooms, like all of those things you know, we have preserved here now because we were thinking about that uh, documentation. The, like I said, the policies and procedures that they were putting into place, making sure that all of those docu uh, documents made their way to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So as researchers want to know 25 years from now, how did the National Football League navigate a pandemic and get every game in, play a complete regular season, a complete postseason, and a Super Bowl? How did they do that? Well, Come to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and we have the documentation that shows you why they were able to get that done. Do you have like I'm I'm just thinking through things from that season because it was so close to us. I mean, I remember I remember Andy Reid would wear a mask and he never wore it, right? And then I remember he would also have like the face shield, and that was always like going all over the place. And you mentioned <laughs> the monitors. I'm just trying to think of other things from that year, but do you have like any of the like fake fans that were at the Super Bowl? Like how much of that <laughs> stuff have you been able to like? track down and bring in because i mean that is that is a fascinating time in nfl history like the fact that we went a whole season with no fans in the stands and like everyone just watched it like it was normal it's kind of right. crazy I, I do think that we have a couple of fans uh a fan I, now that you say that I'm, i saw that i saw something down in our collection area but i don't think that they were cutouts from that so i might have to start searching around uh for some of those fans that would be that, that that's a good thought, John. I, I might uh, might have to to try to snag some of those somewhere. Um, but but yeah, I mean, we do have Andy Reid's uh, face shield, the one that kept fogging up <laughs> right. in that that early game. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it it, it really is. Um, you know, from from the standpoint of things that were going on with the teams. Um, you know, those are some of the easier things to get the, the teams and the clubs because we're able to reach out directly to them. Uh, some of the, um, you know, some of the other things that that maybe um, weren't specifically instituted by the teams, um, you know, those are things that probably will end up being the more fascinating things. Um, and, and those will come directly from individuals that maybe worked for the club that retire and 10 years down the road, you know, are cleaning out a, a closet and going, why do I still have this? Like, and, and instead of throwing it away, they'll contact us and, you know, explain to it, to us what it is and why it's significant and end up getting donated. So, um, you know, there, there, there's a, there's 
you know, different levels and and different things that that uh, ways that we're able to acquire uh, these artifacts and documents. And sometimes it's it's direct access to the clubs and, and the league. And sometimes it's individual fans or individual people that had worked with the club that end up with things and, and ultimately uh, donate them here. John, and all the items that you've seen during the time you've been at the Hall of Fame, do you personally have a favorite item or favorite document? Yeah, you know, I, I get that question a lot. And it's really, it's one of the things that it's probably hard for me to answer. And I don't, answer it the same way all the time. Uh, so if you go back to different interviews and you hear that saying, you're like, wait a second, John said something different on, on this, this podcast or on, on this interview, uh, because there, there's so many unique things and they all have such great stories. Um, you know, probably my favorite collection here. And I answer this the same way a lot of times because it's just, it's an incredible collection is the Dutch Sternemann collection. And Dutch was the co-founder of the Chicago Bears with George Hallis in 1920. And so, you know, we we built a relationship with Dutch's daughter, uh, Peg Holmes. Uh, it, we probably, that relationship, you know, was built over 15 years. And when she finally didn't feel like she could care for the collection the way it needed cared for, and she did a phenomenal job, uh, she ultimately felt like the best place for it to be was here in Canton, Ohio. And the collection is just phenomenal in terms of early NFL history and particularly the Red Grange tour. So, you know, accounting ledgers from games that they played during the Grange tour, um, play-by-play sheets from games in 1925, um, just things that don't exist anywhere else in the world. Um, so that's that's probably from a document collection, uh, one of my one of my favorites. But you know, we we've also got you know Otto Graham jersey in our collection here that that I love because of the story behind it. You know, it, it shows you uh, it's indicative of the times. You know, now a player gets um, uh, during you know before a game he gets issued you know two to four jerseys for any given game. Um, you know, Otto Graham was synonymous with his number 60 that he wore for many, many years. And in 1952, the NFL uh, established a, a numbering system for their players uh, by position. And so he really, uh, as a quarterback, was supposed to wear a number between 1 and 19. And the league said, look, you know, you're a national star, so if you – want to continue wearing 60 you're allowed to wear number 60 but you know he asked back to the league hey do any of my other teammates get a chance to do that and they said no and he said well then i'll switch my number so he switched to number 14 and instead of issuing him a new number 14 jersey they just ripped the 60 off of his jersey and sewed 14 on it so the jersey that we have, it still has the outline of the number 60 because the jersey's all faded. So just indicative of the time, you know, they they were uh pinching pennies and hey, you you wear the same jersey year after year after year. Um, and and so you know that that's a, a fun uh a fun story and a and a and a great artifact. But you know, then we've got you know letters from or a letter from Coach Belichick from 1972 which was his first year with the Detroit lions. And, um, you know, in, in that letter, he's writing to the hall of fame requesting, uh, video footage that we have in our collection. So surprise, surprise, Bill Belichick wants to break down game footage, <laughs> but, um, what's great about the letter is that it's signed off administrative assistant, you know, not future hall of fame coach. Um, and it came to our librarian at the time, and he, he saved it, you know, and, and it kind of shows you how we preserve items. I mean, who was Bill Belichick at the time? And, you know, our librarian, I probably maybe give him more credit than he deserves. Maybe he just thought, Hey, it's got really cool letterhead on it. So we'll save it as a representation of Detroit lions letterhead. But at the end of the day, I'm going through a box and sure enough, I'm reading all the letters and, there it is, Bill Belichick, you know, administrative assistant. And uh, so so that's that's a really fun one as well. 
Is there a, and, and again, I know this is like probably almost impossible to, to answer. I mean, he asked your favorite, but is there a piece that you think stands out above the rest that's maybe more important than the rest or has a bigger place in history than the rest? Yeah, um, it's hard because they're all puzzle pieces, right, to the history of the game. And so they they kind of build on each other. You know, one that that we got years ago from from Dan Rooney, I believe, uh, may have come from Art, but I think it was Dan, if if my memory serves me right. Um, that he sent a box of documents that that somebody had dropped off to the Steelers organization years before, and um, comes to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Our former executive director and now senior advisor Joe Horrigan uh, is going through the box. And at that point in time, uh, everybody believed that John Brailier was the first ever paid player uh, to, to play the game. And um, as Joe's going through this box of documents, he finds an accounting ledger, a, a page written uh, ripped out of a larger ledger. And it was an accounting ledger from a game uh, uh, in 1892, November 12th. Uh, Allegheny Athletic Association versus the Pittsburgh Athletic Club. And right in the middle, uh, it has a line that says W. Heffelfinger for playing cash $500. So all of a sudden, it changes the history of the game. And that's kind of why we stay away from uh, onlys around here. <laughs> first, um, first known, maybe, we we, we discuss. But, um, you know, even the Heffelfinger document, you know, for years now, he, you know, Heffelfinger has been the first known professional football player because of that accounting ledger and that document, who knows what somebody's going to dig out of their grandparents' basement or attic one day that, you know, says that somebody was paid earlier. Um, one of the more recent items that we got that I, I think is just very significant is in the Pete Roselle collection on, as we're going through that collection, we're going through his correspondences um, on Kansas City Chiefs letterhead, uh, there's a two-page letter from Lamar Hunt to Pete Rozelle in 1966, June of 1966, and starts off, you know, pretty mundane, saying, "Hey, you know, I'm going to be spending the next uh, couple of weeks at my dad's ranch in Wyoming," and you know, a couple paragraphs later, he's talking about how he feels that there's too much wasted time at football meetings and they could get a lot more accomplished if there weren't so many interruptions from phone calls and this and that. And then about the fifth paragraph down, he says, um, you know, I really do think we need to come up with a name for our championship game because in 1966, they're getting, they're, they're having conversations about merging the two leagues. And he says, you know, something synonymous like, Wimbledon or the Grey Cup or the Cotton Bowl. I've been toying with the name Super Bowl, but I know that that name could be worked upon. And we knew that story. I mean, everybody that loves football and, and loves the NFL and uh, knows that story. But to sit there and be looking at it and say, you know, this is when he first wrote it to Pete Rozelle um, is, is really, really cool. And, you know, then he proceeds to say, you know, wow, um, you know, we are going to be merging leagues. I really feel like we should keep a sense of um, conflict between the two conferences. And uh, while we've had ideological warfare uh, uh, for six years now, we need to keep having that kind of conflict between the two leagues of who has the sneakiest scouts, who's the better uh, league, because that's what the fans love is that conflict. Um, so, you know, a letter like that is, is just tremendous. And like I said, you know the story, but then when you see where it was actually written down at, um, you know, it, it, it kind of, it has a, it, it changes uh, that a little bit. Well, I think you allude to the fact, too, that all history is so fluid. I, as you mentioned, the John Brailer and the Pudge Heffelfinger story, uh, you know, I've, I've found it interesting as we've researched our, our book series about these teams that, you know, you're trying to get to the truth and, you know, what exactly happened. And sometimes you read player stories 
And then you read other accounts and then you start realizing that the player remembers something a certain way and it may not even be accurate, but that's how he remembers it. And then he starts telling that story. And then you've got to, as a researcher or a historian, try to figure out well, what's the right story here. And that's why it's just so fluid because, you know, sometimes their recollections after years and years and years, they, they, they develop a story that's comfortable to them and they say, well, that's what happened. And Absolutely. Just, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and it it is. It's it particularly, uh, in, and I'm sure it happens more in in other sports than than I think it does. Just I'm so close to football, but it seems like it that type of that that type of research and and type of story that you're talking about happens quite frequently, particularly in those earlier days. Um, it just there wasn't there there weren't as good of records back then and so as you go back and really start to research it, it it there's a lot of holes to fill in yeah definitely john kendall uh our guest from the pro football hall of fame uh vice president of what archives you also have a role in the education wing just kind of a jack of all trades down at the hall of fame you've become a spokesperson over the years as well i remember one of the first times my dad chatted to you that you didn't really like being in front of a camera very much and <laughs> now look at how the role has has changed and come along for you um tell people where they can find you um twitter facebook i don't know if you do all of that uh, i'm pretty sure you do um where can they where can they find you where can they learn more about you tell them all about that well, you know, certainly uh, profootballhof.com, you know, I'll, I'll steer you to our website. Um, that's where a lot, a lot of our team is is posting content, our social media handles at profootballhof. Um, but but me personally, JK underscore Adlibin uh, is uh, my social media. Um, I'm not as active on there, but, uh, you know, we, we did uh, Joe Horrigan, uh, myself and Aditi Kikabwala finished our uh, first season of Football Heaven. It's a joint podcast venture between the Pro Football Hall of Fame and Hall of Fame Village. That was a lot of fun. We we centered all of our stories around items, artifacts, documents in our collection, and then we're able to kind of start the story and then go directly to the sources uh, of some of these pro football hall of famers who had ties to these artifacts to help fill in some of the blanks. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, definitely check out that podcast uh, football heaven uh, wherever you get your podcast, but, uh, but yeah, it, this has been great. I really appreciate you guys having me on and always fun. Like I mentioned before to talk football with people who love the game. And I know you two, uh, love it more than just about anybody that I've ever met. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. We, uh, <laughs> we appreciate you, uh, joining us like always, and, uh, I'm sure we'll do this again in the future. Absolutely. I look forward to it.